Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Everybody in the Pool, the podcast for the climate economy. We dive deep into the climate crisis and come up with solutions. I'm Molly Wood. It's almost the end of 2023, and hey... I launched a little old podcast about climate solutions in May that's just about eight months old here. And oh my goodness, it has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much to you early adopters who hopped right in the pool with me. I know some of you are kind of new here and hopefully you're telling your friends to listen too. And so I thought I would do a little retrospective about some of my favorite interviews, some mind-blowing facts, and also to highlight some of the solutions that have me feeling, yes, genuinely hopeful about the future. Let's start with some of the adoptable ideas that a lot of you got excited about and actually wanted to buy. Here is a seasonally appropriate one. My name is Megan Downey, and I'm the founder and CEO of Shiki Wrap, a startup on a mission to change gift giving for good and solve problems for eco-conscious gift givers. I don't know about you, but as a mom, you know, for years I had this huge tub in the basement that I'd have to lug down and, you know, just so much headache and time and hassle and waste. So we're trying to remove all of that and solve real problems for consumers. And we also have some other plans to provide some highly customized, personalized digital gifts as well, because we know that our customers want that. But right now we're just sticking with shifting consumer behavior away from single-use paper gift wrap into reusables. I just have to tell you that I'm sitting here in my own shame right now as a person with four tubs and a drawer of gift wrapping material. No shame. And as much as I try to harvest it and save it every year, I mean... A lot of it. And it's, it is, it is shameful. Okay. Well, so now is the perfect time to talk about the product. What have you created? And tell us about the specific genius, which is like, it just tells you how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So I I was initially, you know, I'd always had this problem, but then I was volunteering for my daughter's school fundraiser where they have the kids sell stuff to raise money for the school. And we were trying to find a replacement for the biggest seller, which was gift wrap. And so uh, that's how I initially learned about Froshiki. And Froshiki is not the only fabric gift wrap around. There are many cultures that have used cloth and textiles in in their gifting. But when I saw it, I was like, of course, this is a no-brainer, never thinking I was going to make a thing, just trying to figure out where can I buy this stuff and Mm. source it because I love it. What is, wait, back up a minute. What is Furoshiki? Furoshiki. So it's the Japanese, Furoshiki, Furoshiki, the Japanese tradition of wrapping gifts in cloth. It has a rich and beautiful history. And when I actually decided that there wasn't anything on the market that actually met my needs, that was stretchy, that was easy to use, that had the designs that I wanted, one of the first things I did was I reached out to a group of Furoshiki experts in Japan, being a white female founder, 
of a product deeply inspired by Japanese tradition in one of the whitest states in the country, by the way, Vermont, <laughs> I, I wanted to reach out to experts. And so they were so generous. They actually took the initial products and studied them and wrote a report and invited me to come and learn from them. Um, there's so many beautiful ways that you can wrap gifts. You can make bunny ears. You can you can do all kinds of gorgeous things with furoshiki. It's, it's like a whole thing. But I just wanted to, you know, could I, if I made this thing, would people like other than my aunt buy it and then figure out how to use it? Like, could you just tie two knots? That's really all you need. And now you, you can even just use a hair tie if even tying the two knots scares you. Um, wow. So it's incredibly easy to use, works for gifts of all shapes and sizes. I will say I do feel like I went to market with my second product first um, because the gift bag is really the go-to for a lot of U.S. consumers and so we just completed a second Kickstarter campaign to fund the reversible, reusable gift bags as well. This is going to double as a little bit of a where are they now, because Megan just let me know that she's still fundraising to grow Shiki Wrap, but the company just wrapped up, hey a visit to LA to show off the reusable wraps and do a little demo for the Kardashians. So look for Shiki Wrap on some Instagram posts near you, I hope. Waste of all sorts was actually a huge topic in my interviews this year. Shout out Mill. I'm on the waiting list for my compost appliance, and I will post an Instagram reel once I get it. And a lot of you also got excited about this next option. I'm Ryan Metzger, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Ridwell. And Ridwell is a service that makes it easy for you to waste less. And we do that by picking up reusable and hard-to-recycle items from your front porch. Ridwell is a subscription recycling and reuse service that gives you a box for your front porch so you can recycle hard-to-handle products like batteries, light bulbs, different kinds of plastic, clothing or fabric or scraps, and there's a rotating category every time like yarn or school supplies or crayons or old glasses. I have been using it for months, and I wish it didn't have to exist, but I'm thrilled that it does. The surprise and delight categories, what's the genesis of that? And give us some more examples. Yeah, that goes back to really the founding story, you know, that I told you earlier. And so Owen and I, he's my oldest son, we would do these pickups. And what was really special about that experience was neighbors started giving us ideas. And so I remember one vividly, some woman said, oh, you know, Owen, do you have, in your dad, do you have anything for, you know, eyeglasses? Like my husband changed his prescription. He has these three pairs that are, you know, not used to him, but they might be used for someone. And so we then looked and figured out that there was a partner for that. And so then we would share it back with the community. And so the community ended up really looking forward to, oh, what's next? What's going to happen? And they didn't really know what it was because we didn't necessarily know what it was. It was something that was shared with us or something that was around our house that we were able to find a partner for. And so we've done that at a, at a much bigger scale today where when we go to a new market, we look for who are the nonprofits generally who are doing really good things in the community, who have a need for in-kind donations for things, or what are the hard to recycle things? We've added bread tags or plastic bottle caps, those types of things. So it's really that keep it fresh, keep it new, keep people inspired that their actions make a difference. Uh, and so we introduce that by means of our, our featured category that is every two weeks, there's a new one. Yeah, I do not want to out myself as the old lady that I am, but the week that you did yarn. Oh, yarn was a popular one. Yeah. <laughs> made a really big difference at my house. <laughs> yeah. Let me just say that I am currently just making a big pile of mix and match fingerless gloves because I couldn't bring myself to get rid of all of my yarn. But I am still happily sending my plastic and other items off to Ridwell to get turned into decking, building material, flower pots, all kinds of stuff. 
In the personal action category, two topics captured your imagination this year. First, you know that saying, you are what you eat? Well, your carbon footprint is also what you eat. I had a fun and very provocative conversation with my new friend, Jessica. I'm Jessica Ressler, and I have lived in New York for 25 years. I'm an immersive experiential designer. And so that's a very niche part of marketing that kind of combines live and digital experiences. And the reason that we're talking today is I am a militant, passionate, ethical vegan. And I'm incredibly excited to be on your pod. See, Jessica sent me an email. I'm a huge fan of yours, and I absolutely have so much respect for you and what you're doing. So so basically what happened was you had sent out a newsletter, which I subscribed to, and you were talking about the devastation in Maui. And what actually what urged me to email you is you had a picture that had a burger in it. And, oh, um, <laughs> and I a actually, big burger, too. I it mean, was a big burger. It's it a big, big burger. burger. Yeah. It was a biggie. And I try to take time, you know, maybe an hour a week just to send out emails and most of which are ignored, but I just send out emails urging people to do something vegan. So I email the New York times all the time and ask them to change their cooking section to, to plant-based only. And so I, I emailed you and I just said, um, I think it was something about, you know, that you're just doing such wonderful work in your climate warriorship. And would you be interested in some tips and tricks on how to go vegan? And so that's where we started. And you wrote the loveliest email back. And so I really appreciated that. And I said, maybe, (laughs) you know, she's like, can I convince you to go vegan? And I was like, maybe, but why don't we, why don't we just maximize the impact here? And so I'll be the, this seems like an unfortunate term, guinea pig for this effort. (laughs) Um, But let's, let's see who else we can bring along on this journey. A hundred percent. Some other fun moments from that conversation? Right now, today, there are 61,000 registered plant-based products. When I started being vegan 27 years ago, there was not that. It was a lot of food that tasted like cardboard. It was really hard. The social pressure was tough. I remember cooking a tofurkey for my (laughs) vegan then brother-in-law that just smelled like Socks and asshole. Garbage. Totally. There's no other way to say it. Yeah, like, I, you know, not to be crass, but... Mm. No, it's completely true. And yeah. that's just not the case anymore. I mean, we're just in such a different place that there's really nothing you're, you're craving, you know, that you're not going to find out there. There were also some brutal facts. Last year, one research paper determined that if we ended all meat and dairy production and switched the global food system to plant-based over the next 15 years, that would cancel out every other sector's greenhouse gas emissions for the next 30 to 50 years. This is a thought experiment, obviously, but the point is, yeah, the answer is yes. Reducing your meat consumption, going vegetarian, going completely plant-based, yeah, it works. Meat accounts for about 60% of your personal greenhouse gas emissions. Beef alone is 45% of that. A vegan diet creates 75% less greenhouse gas emissions, water pollution, and land use than a heavily based meat diet. So yeah, now you know my mantra is less, right? Not necessarily none. Small changes really add up. 
I will tell you, I have not eaten red meat since that conversation. And I've been about 80% vegetarian, maybe about 50% vegan, pescatarian the rest of the time, unless my kid leaves leftovers in the fridge because wasting food is worse than eating the meat that's already been cooked. And honestly, I feel really good eating this way. Okay, one last thing before our break. In episode seven, I talked with one of my longtime favorite people, Kyle Weens, the CEO of iFixit, about how important it is to repair and not replace your old electronics. And that struck a nerve with a lot of you, including me. How many things do we need in the world? Mm -hmm. We globally, all of civilization, we manufacture about 1.5 billion smartphones a year. What's the right amount? The amount is more than zero. It's probably less than 1.5 billion. We probably don't need to be making that many. And every single phone that we make is a couple hundred pounds of CO2 in the air. It's uh, several hundred pounds of raw material dug out of the ground to grind out rock and get the gold and the lithium and all the materials that we need that we're not good at recovering and recycling. So we literally dig a mountain out of the earth every day to make the smartphones that we need. I would like to dig a smaller mountain every day. So I wonder at what point You know, I I am of the opinion that every story is sort of fundamentally a climate story. In your case, it sounds like you came to this as it's just a practicality story. The longer I can keep this, the less money it costs me. At what point would you say you started to become aware of what a big climate story this really is and what a big resource story it is? Yeah, I mean, I came at it from an e-waste angle, from a looking at, you know, end of life, where do these things go? What are the harms caused? in mining and then in manufacturing and then but then we we did the math and we realized electronics are the most carbon intensive products that we make mm-hmm. and it's it's just pure energy that goes into making these things i mean if you take the phone and say well where does the energy go most of it goes into the chips it's the individual acs like well where where does the energy go in making chips it is literally x-ray machines ablating atoms off the top of these these silicon wafers every time they build a new or they want to upgrade the equipment in one of these silicon fabs They have to bring in massive new pipes with just huge wires, like the actual size of the copper wire into these fabs is a large part of of the limitations of like where and how they build these fabs. And of course, where the fabs are, generally it's coal-fired power. So when I say it's, you know, I think Apple's number is something like 500 pounds of CO2 per iPhone. Yeah. Ouch. All right, time for a quick break. When we come back, moving from personal action to the inspiring entrepreneurs who are working on the really big stuff. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Everybody in the Pool. It's the end of the year clip show where I'm looking back at some of my favorite interviews over the past seven, eight months of doing this show. In the first half, I talked about the things that you and I can do. For the second half, let's look back at some of the entrepreneurs making us feel better about the future by inventing some seriously cool stuff to tackle really big problems like jet fuel. My name is Paul Aramenko. I am one of the co-founders and the CEO of Universal Hydrogen. And Universal Hydrogen is working to make the hydrogen value chain work end-to-end. 
in the near future for a variety of mobility applications starting with aviation. Because the idea of hydrogen as an energy storage mechanism for mobility applications, and in particular aviation, goes pretty far back. The first manned hydrogen airplane flew in the 1950s. Soviets flew an airliner in the 80s on, on liquid hydrogen. And none of that was environmentally driven, right? That was all just the, 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 the fundamental physics uh, that make hydrogen such a great aviation fuel. Right. This is where I feel like we should also finally clue people into what now, because you are, in fact, using this for airplanes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to make uh, hydrogen commercial aviation a, a near-term reality. So as early as 2025 or more likely 2026 in a more significant part of the world, um, we do expect to have uh, hydrogen regional airplanes in commercial service. Yes. Okay. So tell me what you've been building. We flew a prototype. Yes. Yeah. Like you've flown. Exactly. Is- yeah. That is the most exciting news of the last couple of months, March 2nd of uh, this year. We flew uh, by far the largest airplane ever to fly on hydrogen fuel cells. That was in Moses Lake, Washington, and it was a 40-50 passenger kind of regional airplane called the Dash 8. It's very similar to our first product, which will be a conversion of existing ATR-72s, which is the most popular regional airplane out there. All right, first airplanes, and then there was cement. My name is Cody Finke. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Brimstone, and Brimstone is working on getting the CO2 emissions out of the production of cement. I just love Cody. He plays it so cool. Before us, there were two ways to make ordinary Portland cement. The first one is what we've talked about, which is making it from limestone. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of CO2. The second one is making it from a rock called gypsum, which is the other place where there's calcium. And if you make it from gypsum, it makes sulfuric acid, which is a bit worse than CO2. So it's not a it's not a good solution. Yeah. But, it, you know, it, it was used industrially for about... 60 years. Mm -hmm. So those are the two processes, right? You can either make CO2 or you can make sulfuric acid, pick your poison. (laughs) Uh, And now we have, we are the, you know, the only company to make a third process, right? We are the third process to make ordinary Portland cement. And instead of making these like sort of crazy chemicals, our waste product sequesters CO2. And at what point in the kind of R&D cycle, did you discover that? Like, was that just an added, holy crap? So (laughs) it's actually funny. (laughs) (laughs) We, uh, my my co-founder Hugo and I, we knew that from pretty early on um, because there's all, there's all this literature. So, so cement itself actually also sequesters CO2, but it doesn't sequester as much as it emits, right? There's still a huge net CO2 emissions, but cement itself sequesters CO2. So, you know, we had known about this phenomenon of, you know, rock things <laughs> sequestering co2 and when we and and we realized that you know the two major elements will do this are calcium and magnesium and we knew we made a a, a decent amount of magnesium waste product but uh, at, at first we didn't talk about it because we were worried that like it would be a distraction um or that you know you know people would think it'd be like too good to be true so we just say yeah we make this magnesium waste product and then one of our investors a guy named cooper rinsler actually was like doesn't that sequester co2 and we're like yes it does yeah this is like um, it was definitely he said what i would have said is you should tell people that yeah <laughs> yeah he did and now we tell people it so we're telling you and told other people <laughs> so yeah and now i'm telling you 
And then there were even more amazing stories, like Diana Little, co-founder and CEO of Anuma Aerospace. This is one heck of an origin story from episode 22. Here's how she and her wife got the idea for their lighter-than-air airships, which they hope will replace cargo shipping and trucking at scale. What we came up with was vacuum lift, using vacuum, partial vacuum, in a in a cell, you know, in a big spherical empty frame. And the cool thing about partial vacuum is that you pull vacuum, you go up, you let some air in, you go down. And it's like a submarine in an ocean of air. Because mm-hmm. you have, that's how they do it with submarines. They fill their their ballast tanks with water to go down and they expel the water to go up. And had that been done before? Had that been experimented with? Did you perfect it? You just you invented it. You're being so modest here. We didn't, we didn't invent the idea. The idea was actually proposed by a monk in the late 1600s. <laughs> I mean, I love this interview so much already. Like this, is, we have like is- cruises across the sky before airplanes. <laughs> we have monk inventions. Just keep it coming, Diana. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this guy's actually considered to be the father of aeronautics. There's a picture of this invention in the Smithsonian Museum that's out at Dulles. We we went and saw it a couple of years ago and we're like, (laughs) I'm very excited. This was one of the early inventions for the idea of how humans could leave the planet. Um, This was before they'd even discovered helium. Wow. So he proposed that you could make these vacuum cells and put them on a ship. The picture is beautiful. It's this old drawing and lift it up in the air. And finally, the absolutely delightful story of two genius chemists who boiled water in the backyard and made metal. My name is Alex Grant. I am CEO at a company called Magrathia. Uh, We're a tech startup in Oakland, California, developing a new generation of electrolytic technology for making magnesium metal from seawater and brines. Turns out magnesium is exactly the super lightweight, flexible metal you want to use in electric cars to maximize battery life. You want it in rockets to get them out of the gravity well with less fuel required. It's a critical alloy in aluminum and steel production. And right now, about 90% of the production of magnesium happens in China and Russia, mostly using coal. So Alex and his co-founder just found a totally carbon neutral way to make more right here at home. The key for low-cost, reliable, low-carbon-intensity magnesium metal is technology, and we are technologists, so especially kind of suited to unlocking magnesium metal as it is really a technological problem and a price of energy problem. And of course, renewables are just crashing the price of electricity, so electrolytic technologies are very favorable. And what's really, yeah, what's really interesting about mag is that it, it's not a resource problem. So it doesn't matter if you control a magnesium deposit. You know, the, the vast majority of magnesium metal ever made has been made from seawater by Dow in Texas. Yeah. So it's a really interesting critical mineral problem that is completely a technology problem and not uh, a resource problem. And that's what you're doing, right? Like Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly our focus. Your process is making it out of seawater or salty water brine. See, I love doing this show. Thank you to all the incredible entrepreneurs and investors and business people who appeared on the podcast this year. Thanks to all of you for listening. Obviously, this list leaves off a lot of incredible builders and inventors, so get caught up. Binge listen if you have to before next season. 
And I hope to talk to many more of these brilliant people in the new year. If you know some, please email me your thoughts and suggestions. My email address is in at everybodyinthepool.com. You can find all the latest episodes and more at everybodyinthepool.com, the website. And if you want to become a subscriber and get an ad-free version of the show, there's a link in the description in your podcast app of choice. Thank you to those of you who already have, and thank you for listening and supporting the show and being in the pool. I'll see you next year. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.